An interesting week from AEW and WWE. We're going to talk about it all next on the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. My name is Michael Valenti. Joining me is Ralph Valenti. Ralph, we'll start off with how AEW Dynamite started off this week, and that is with a celebration from the Jericho Appreciation Society as Chris Jericho celebrates the fact that he is the new Ring of Honor World Champion. During the celebration, we saw Luigi Prima, and he has a heel turn, per se. I don't even know if he was a babyface to begin with, but turns heel on the fact that he's making New York-style pizza in Philadelphia. So that made the crowd boo, given the rivalry between the Eagles and the Giants or the 76ers and the Knicks. Take your pick. Flyers-Rangers. But nonetheless, that's just the beginning. We have Chris Jericho giving a hat to Daniel Garcia as a gift. Garcia's like, nah, I'm done with this. He knocks out Luigi Primo, goes on this rant like, I'm, I'm done with this. This is not who I am. This is not what I want to be. Chris Jericho cuts him off and says, he's at a crossroads. Make the right decision. Your career will benefit. Make the wrong decision and I'll bury you. This leads to Brian Danielson coming out, telling him not to have Chris Jericho speak for Daniel Garcia or force him to his decision, which then Daniel Garcia chooses to team with Daniel uh, Brian Danielson next week against Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. So Ralph, what is your initial thought to this whole conversation this whole promo segment, and even, in fact, Luigi Primo. I think I'm going to reserve my conversation about Luigi Primo for future episodes if he decides to get a much larger role than just being a character for a com- comedic relief segment, which, whatever. I mean, it's, it probably won't happen. I don't want to spend the whole time talking about that guy. So <laughs> okay. I will move on to what I think matters, and that is Chris Jericho, Brian Danielson, and Daniel Garcia. So I think that it, whether you whether you like Daniel Garcia, whether you think he's going to be a big star or not, whether you can see potential in him or not, because I know there's certainly people that fall on either side of it. The fans that are going to say, you know, pro wrestling, the wrestling aspect is more important than the entertainment side of it. They may say that, you know, he's the next big thing. Um, he's amazing. All these types of things. And then if you're somebody who kind of thinks that the sports entertainment, the character side of everything is more important than the in-ring you may say that he's bland. At the very least, I like the fact that whatever the end result of this whole story is, they're actually trying to follow through with it. It mm-hmm. follows a pattern. They touch on it weekly. They touch on it uh, on pay-per-views and all the major shows. Um, they've now got the Ring of Honor title involved in it, which you know I think inevitably what's going to end up happening is Daniel Garcia will take that title off Jericho once Jericho runs through X amount of former ROH champions or former ROH talent, as we saw later on in the night. I, I can't say I hate it because at least they're telling a story weekly. Uh, you could debate whether you think Jericho is the right guy to be involved with the Ring of Honor title. You could debate whether uh, Daniel Garcia is worth this much time and effort in investing into him to be put on TV. Um, but at least they're trying to follow up on this week in, week out. I will say... The promo work of Daniel Garcia has improved within the last few months, joining the Jericho Appreciation Society and this whole sports entertainer versus pro wrestler storyline that in the end, the guys that elevate themselves to the, you know, legendary level, the main event level are both and pro wrestling is a form of sports entertainment. I'm sorry if you still disagree with it at this point. I don't know what else to tell you. By Isn't definition, this whole segment proving? proving yes. It? Yes, it is. This like literally you cannot define pro wrestling without it sounding like a form of sports entertainment. You can't do it. 
you know, you said that you think Garcia is going to be the one that dethrones Jericho. You don't think Brian Danielson is going to beat him on that October, I think it's 12th show in Toronto, which we found out at the end of the show, Jericho, after beating Bandito, challenges Brian Danielson to the Ring of Honor World Championship match as he goes through all these different Ring of Honor champions, starting with Bandito, after what was a very, very good match, I will say. Who else is Jericho going to face off against? Eventually leading Jay to Garcia. Lethal? You can face Jim, Samoa Joe. I'm Adam trying Cole, to think. I think, was a former Ring of Honor champion, right? CM Punk certainly was. He Old was. Phil but, Brooks. <laughs> but but he's, he's not coming back for at least six to eight months, regardless of its suspension or injury. So he's out. Who Look, else? I, I, I mean, do I think Brian Danielson is certainly a guy that's capable of it, given the history of it? Yeah. Would I like to see Daniel Bryan come out to the final countdown and everybody go nuts? Absolutely. I don't think anybody's trying to debate that. But in my opinion, just based on the story that's being told, based on the story arc and where you really want to see this go, you know, wouldn't it mean more if you're if they're really trying to go, no pun intended, all in on Daniel Garcia? And it certainly seems like no matter what the fans think of him, and I shouldn't even say fans because I kind of mean more of the critics, whatever the critics think of Daniel Garcia. They're going to go all in on him. They're going to go all in on Wheeler Yuta, it seems like. And I'm sure we're going to talk about him, too. Uh, If you're going to go all in on Daniel Garcia, Brian Danielson doesn't need to beat Chris Jericho. He can lose in some weird, fluky fashion, and Brian Danielson won't lose anything in that. But to have Daniel Garcia be the guy to dethrone Chris Jericho, I think will mean a lot for his career kind of going forward. Um, especially the fact that they're trying to portray him as what is a sports entertainer right now, conflicted about being a pro wrestler. And you think about what the ring of honor, what ring of honor really stands for and the tradition of ring of honor. I think it would make sense for him to be the guy to dethrone Chris Jericho. Maybe what ends up happening is Jericho beats Danielson. Garcia beats Jericho, but then Garcia and Danielson reunite in their in their feud because Gar- Garcia or Danielson turn on one another somehow. And that's how you get the match. Maybe at full gear. Maybe that's the match at full gear is Brian Danielson versus Daniel Garcia. One match that we also know is definitely happening in the coming weeks is John Moxley will defend the AEW World Championship against Adam Hangman Page. So Adam Hangman Page won a battle royal on Rampage last Friday, last eliminating Roosh. I thought it was a very Good sequence to end that battle royal. But nonetheless, John Moxley had to go through an eliminator match first against Juice Robinson. And I thought AEW did a fantastic job at least explaining why Juice Robinson is getting this opportunity. It wasn't, I mean, they did similar to Mance Warner, but at least they stuck it all on the same show so that if you're watching the show, you understand. And then boom, there's the match. Fine. Do that. But those who have followed New Japan Pro Wrestling already know the matches that they've had together. You know, after the match, Hangman Page does come out. They have a little face-to-face situation there. So we're going to get a little build-up into the upcoming weeks. And this match happens to be in John Moxley's hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio. So it's going to be interesting to see how this develops. Yeah, and I think when you look at kind of where everything lies currently in AEW, there's only so many guys that can legitimately challenge for the championship that I think are believable at this point. And it's not because they don't have talented guys under contract. It's either because you have certain guys hurt like Adam Cole. Uh, you have certain people that are suspended like Kenny Omega. I guess uh, CM Punk is obviously hurt. So he's out. 
It's kind of crazy, but when you think about it, you know, one of the big complaints about WWE back for however long was you had your top card, your main eventers, and then you had a pretty steep fall off. And I'm not saying that AEW doesn't have the talent where it's like a drastic drop off, but they don't always position people to feel like they're they're important because outside of like the top guys, it's not like you can just have a Daniel Garcia or a Sammy Guevara or Samoa Joe. I mean, like Samoa Joe could probably be at that level, but it's not like he's getting utilized on a weekly basis or putting in like certain spotlights. So he seems like he's ready to challenge. So I think it was the obvious choice was Hangman. He's a former champion. He's a guy that the, you know, for everything that's gone on, he's still got a great reaction. I think this is a smart choice right now. MJF was looking down during this match with his big giant poker chip. He yep. does, you know, interrupt the face to face and saying it doesn't matter who is going to win this match because yep. I'm going to beat whoever, you know, wins that match and become the new AEW world champion. Heck, he might even cash in that night. So is this foreshadowing that he does, in fact, cash in on the winner, which may, in fact, be John Moxley cashes in on him in his hometown of Cincinnati? With the type of heat magnet that he is, I think it would make sense for him to do that. Last week, we had the conversation, and you were bringing up how he could potentially be the biggest babyface in at least AEW. And I asked you, was it just because it was in Queens, or do you think this is a trend throughout the AEW fan base and throughout the wrestling industry? Well, I think I might have been right on this because... He has a promo segment before the John Moxley match with Wheeler Yuta. And even though Wheeler Yuta called out all the things that he was going to say, MJF still makes those hits, bashes a, a sports team, bashes him and whatever. And the crowd just boos the hell out of him. To the, and even adds more fuel to the heat by not allowing the, him to say his catchphrase, walks out and lets the gun club do it all. Meanwhile, we have Wheeler Yuta trying to, you know, go to toe to toe on the stick with MJF. So I have to ask you here, Ralph, not that it really should be asked, but I'm going to ask either way. Who won the war of words, MJF or Wheeler Yuta? In all honesty, it's, it's not even fair. It's not even fair to put Wheeler Yuta in that situation. I mean, look, Wheeler Yuta, whether you like him, dislike him, whether whatever, I mean, he's known for being that guy that went out there and had a good string of matches. Like, he's not known for his mic work. And you're putting him up against maybe the top guy in all of wrestling right now, face-to-face, week after week, too, two weeks in a row. Um, Mm -hmm. Not many people are going to come. Even CM Punk, as good as he is on the mic, there were people that saying he got destroyed by uh, MJF. And I'm not saying I agree, but it's not even fair, man. No, it's It's not. not even fair. I know. I mean, at least start Wheeler Yuta off with someone that's, comparable just to make it seem like he is good on the mic or like whoa we weren't expecting this but like you put him up against mjf and it's like ugh. and like i mean he gave his best effort and it was better this week than it was last week but you know what i don't like (laughs) and this is something you see a lot in wrestling like when you see you put a guy who's not known for good mic work up against a guy who is just, it's effortless. And a guy like MJF, it's truly effortless. He, he's great on the mic. They try to go so far out of their way to force a promo to be good that it falls flat. It's cringe. It's just, 
it doesn't work. And that's, that's a part of the problem. I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying or suggesting that I would know how to make this whole feud work in between the two. And I don't even know if this is a feud that I do. I really want to see MJF feud with Wheeler Yuta. Not really, but it is what it is. In my mind, there's just got to be a better way that you could pursue this feud other than putting them face to face with the mic in front of each other. Yeah. You know? What? But, I mean, I think the match is next week anyway, MJF versus Wheeler Yuta, so it could be just a mini feud just to keep MJF on TV, keep Wheeler Yuta on TV, because the fans love Wheeler Yuta, Tony Khan wants to keep him on TV. Between Yuta and Daniel Garcia, I think, like, they're probably the fan favorites of the lower mid-card per se, and and I think Garcia is kind of elevating himself a little bit higher than Wheeler Yuta is right now, but... Who knows? In six months, we might be having the completely different feedback with Wheeler Yuta as compared to Daniel Garcia. Yeah. But, but you bring up, you know, going up someone that's not so good on mic against someone that is good on the mic, and it's not being unfair. We had this other promo segment on the night, and you th- you would think both people were good on the mic, and that's Britt Baker and Soraya. <laughs> <laughs> so Soraya, it's her first promo back from wrestling after, what was it, five, six years since she was forced into retirement from her neck injury. She might have been a little rusty. I'll give her that. Like, this was just an awkward, awkward promo segment. She comes yeah. out. She's talking about how she's the revolution, has everybody come out in the women's locker room. And by everybody, I really mean like five baby face women. And maybe two of them have been on TV in the last month. And the uh, AEW interim champion, Tony Storm and Athena, Madison Rain, I guess, she's a notable name. And then you have Sky Blue and Will um, Nightingale trying to, you know, pump them all up. But she just goes straight to Tony Storm is the best AEW women's champion we've ever had. Not even letting Tony Storm talk. But before anybody else gets introduced or whatever, Britt Baker comes out with Jamie Hayter. Rebel and uh, Penelope Ford, which that was just random throwing it's, her this in. This is one of those wrestling things like, oh, the heels hang out with the heels and the faces hang. It's like, right. Soraya is trading blows with Britt Baker. Britt Baker has a line where she says that she puts her blood, sweat, and tears in the women's division. She puts her neck on the line. The difference between me and you is that my neck is strong and yours isn't. And Soraya had nothing. To retaliate this, except, well, your name rhymes with shit. Like, that's the best you could come up with? I mean, yes, I understand you're under the gun. This is the first time in your, your, on the mic in years in front of people in a ring. But it reminds me of that scene in your movie, Soraya, where you were getting heckled by fans and didn't know what to say. I need, and I'm not trying to be insensitive here, but isn't there some low hanging fruit that she could have touched on? Isn't there a certain somebody that, well, I guess it depends what rumors you believe, but isn't there a certain somebody that Britt Baker, as far as I know, is still dating that's out on injury that she could have clearly just said, you know, you're talking about me and my neck, but it seems to be like, your man is the one who can't quite keep up whatever, something along those Not lines. Not only that, you she's know? out there with a freaking bandage on her nose because she busted her nose for a second time. Could have gone yeah. with, after that, 
could have gone after the fact that people are chanting Jamie Hayter and not Britt Baker or Soraya, you know, because they're talking about relevancy. Yeah. You think you're the one that leads this division? Why are they chanting for your lackey and it's not you? The fact that she hogs the spotlight and There's the fact that, you know, she's there supposed to be the revolution, which... This whole thing was just weird, man. The whole segment, the whole layout of it, because she's out there talking about how she's going to be the revolution and all this stuff, and then she calls out the champion. Well, if you're the revolution, what is what are people supposed to think about the champion? Like, you're essentially saying, I'm above her. Like, I'm here to save this company. And, I, you know, I get it. That's typically what somebody that debuts, that's typically something they'll touch on. I'm not even saying I disagree. I just thought the whole layout of it was all kind of out of whack. She wasn't uncomfortable. I've definitely seen Paige in WWE cut much better promos and be much more confident and stuff like that. Britt Baker was fine. She was always very good. Uh, but just, yeah, it was... Oh, uh, and, and the fans didn't even pop. Like, when they were, oh, by the way, it's going to be a Lumberjack match. And they were just like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Whatever. cool. And, of course, she does her WWE dig there where... Hey, at least I have a boss now that will listen to me. I mean, yeah, cool. Yeah, have to had, have to throw that in there, which is fine, you know, because I'm sure Vince McMahon never listened to Soraya or Paige or whatever you want to call her now. But I have to ask, just like I asked in our last segment, who won the War of Words, Britt Baker or Soraya? Britt Baker by default. <laughs> I mean, and again, I I I I like Soraya a lot. I'm a huge fan of hers. Uh, but this. Definitely wasn't the best. Right. It wasn't as bad as people made it out to be, but it wasn't good. And no. it wasn't it wasn't just the content that was the whole segment was just poo. It was awkward. It was awkward. That's what it comes down to. It was just very, very awkward. And segment rhymed with Brit. Yeah, exactly. And this is why sometimes scripts work in wrestling. But I do want to talk about NXT. All right. NXT is probably not going to be known for their great matches. But they right have now. right now. But their characters are are good. They have some really good characters down there. And one of my personal favorites is Andre Chase and Chase University. Whenever I actually watch NXT, I love this guy. I'll admit it. He has a pep rally ahead of his North American title qualifying match against Von Wagner. And during the pep rally, he's getting asked questions. And there's a guy by the name of Dave who asks him, Something along the lines of, are you afraid that you're going to lose to Von Wagner or something along those lines? And he goes, what's your name? Dave? Dave, what the hell kind of a question is that? What kind of five-star question is that? And just buries him. So obviously, this is a Dave Meltzer reference. He's calling it a five-star question. And he says, "Do you even have you ever worked in a ring and all this other stuff? And every time I punch Va- a Von Wagner, I'm going to think of your smug face. This is a situation where, yes, those that follow the inter- that are in the dirt sheets, listen to podcasts like ours or, you know, a lot more popular ones than ours, go on Twitter for five hours a day talking wrestling, would completely understand that reference. And listen, it's funny. Even if you're not one of those kind of wrestling fans, a quote unquote casual fan, you will find this entertaining too. I love this in fact to a point where after i saw it on twitter i actually changed the channel off the yankee game because i knew aaron judge was going to hit a home run that night and watched nxt just for that one segment so 
they actually got me to turn back to NXT for one night. Yeah, and if nothing else, this was a fun segment. Again, it's one of those subtle little things. It's not like it's on Raw or SmackDown. It's on it's on a show that is not their A or B show. Right. You know, so it was a fun segment. I, I don't I didn't really see people get offended by it or anything like that. I but didn't you either. never know. There's always gonna be somebody, so well, I didn't see if Dave Meltzer actually responded to it yet, but I, I didn't see that. I mean, who knows if he even watched NXT? I'm sure I'm sure he did, but if he didn't, oh well. I thought it was funny. I thought it was a nice little jab at even I don't know if it was a jab at the media scrums themselves with like AEW, but could have been. Could have been, but nonetheless, I thought it was a fun segment. And, you know, we see jabs. It seems like Paige or Soraya did her jab on dynamite with her boss. And then you have Andre chase doing a jab at Dave Meltzer. So, but we lead to the, the main roster, nine twenty three hits on Friday night, Ralph. And what was on TV Friday night, Friday night at nine 23, we were told something was going to happen at nine 23, at nine 23 uh, was a commercial break. It was a commercial break. I felt like I was Ralphie in the Christmas story, you know, <laughs> I was anticipating this. I was trying to decode everything with my decoder pin only for it to be a crummy commercial. But nonetheless, there were a couple QR codes that we got between SmackDown last week, which was on the table, I think during the hit row party. And then there was another one on raw. So we'll talk yes. about the, the SmackDown one, which I think the big clue there was the coordinates to Edmonton, which was the location of raw and the bunny facing the word patricide or patricide, I should say, which by definition is one who kills his father, his or her father. We go to the QR code on Monday night raw. And there were a few little things there. There was all these different promos from WWE that got spliced up and go to this message. But the thing that people were talking about the most was in the embedded source code was the opening lyrics to Aleister Black's theme music where no, what is it? No man is truly fully good or no man is truly evil. I forget the actual verbatim lyrics, but going to that good evil thing. So I was like, oh my God, Aleister Black coming back to WWE. The rumors are true. He did get his release. He's going to WWE. And then there were some coordinates that led to this bunny in Italy. So, you know, everyone is pointing at, Everyone's pointing at Bray Wyatt being involved in this. And we got everybody talking about Aleister Black. But Ralph, I think we're on to something here. And I think a lot of people are missing this. And I tried to spread this out on social media. And for some reason, it's not getting any traction. But these QR codes might be involved with Bray Wyatt. But they're definitely involving the Judgment Day. The hangman in the first QR code, the first five letters spell demon. Which yes. is Finn Balor, patricide, killing one's father or turning on one's father, Dominic. The lyrics that everyone is talking about pointing to Aleister Black is not pointing to him. It's pointing to the personality and the character of Damien Priest. And the coordinates to this bunny in Italy could potentially be his former tag team partner at WrestleMania, Bad Bunny. I mean, if we have one more QR code on SmackDown and it's about riptides, or brutality, then it's Judgment Day confirmed. Well, I said from day one, I thought it was Judgment Day. The color scheme of the whole first QR code, whatever it led you to, that matched it. Demon got spelled out. 
And, you know, where do I think they're going to go with this? I think they're going to go after Roman. I think they're going to go after the bloodline. And it would make sense because um, who ruined the world you did? I mean, you could certainly point to, if, correct me if I'm wrong, Finn Balor was the demon when he faced Roman in that match? Yes. Or no, he was not. Yes, he, he did. And that was the only time he's ever lost. Well, as on far the main as roster. I, remember. I think he lost yes. once in NXT as the demon. Well, I'm talking about his main roster run here. Right. Yes, He's only correct. done it. I don't know, five, six times. But when you think about who, who ruined it, who started the downfall of Finn Balor, like when he started not being necessarily utilized correctly, I mean, yeah, you could point to Vince, but you could certainly point to this storyline and that starting to be his downfall. I honestly think it is the Judgment Day. And I think they're using fans' emotion and just the fact that this is what they always do, whether it's the Royal Rumble or whether it's a big event. Um, how many times has The Rock supposed to come back? How many times has it... You know, every Royal Rumble, CM Punk was supposed to return. Kenny Omega was supposed to be in the Royal Rumble one year, you know, so that they're playing off your emotion. It's working because fans are invested in it. It shows in the numbers and it shows on everything else. Uh, But I really do think it is the judgment day. And as as many people want to tie the white rabbit itself to Bray Wyatt, it could simply just be symbolism for you going down a rabbit hole to try to figure out all these clues. That's yeah, really all that's it could true. be. And if you just look at basically the, the basic level, the easy clues, the patricide, the demon, the, the lyrics, Alistair Black pointing to Damian Priest and not Alistair Black himself, you'll find that it's all tied to the judgment day. In fact, aren't the, the X's when they were doing the, the get hangman game purple? Yes. Which coincides with Finn Balor's t-shirt this past Monday of this big purple X. I believe so. I believe we're on to something here, Ralph, but I'm sure it's Bray Wyatt. And I'm sure if it's not, the crowd is going to boo the hell out of it and say it was a waste of time. And it's as bad as the eat the, the egg at Survivor Series 1990 that was supposed to be the Undertaker, but that ended up being the gobbledygooker. This is absolutely working. In a number mm-hmm. of different ways. It's got fans invested. It makes it where, you know, most segments backstage where people would kind of fast forward or skip over, you literally have to pay attention to that. And this is probably the best the 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 best example I can give you. As as a Yankee fan and a Giant fan, Monday, I love Monday Night Raw, but at the same time, I was watching to see if Aaron Judge was hitting that home run and I was watching to see if the New York Giants were for real. And they're not. Uh, Aaron Judge didn't hit the home run and the New York Giants aren't for real. So <laughs> most people are attached to their phones, whether they're mm-hmm. watching TV mo- more times than not. They're scrolling through Twitter. They're trying to keep up on things. And that's all you see. That's all I saw on my timeline was just, oh, uh, Q- new QR code. This was decoded. That was decoded. It does this. It does that. So Triple H or whoever thought of this whole concept and whoever's coming up with it on a weekly basis has found a way to keep fans invested even when they're not watching the show. And you can look at the numbers on SmackDown. What was the viewership? 2.5 million, something crazy yeah, like something that? something like that. So look, yeah, you could point to, okay, well, it could have been the bloodline, and I'm sure they had a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. But it could also be this, because fans are invested in it. It has you guessing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's It's been wonderful. And I'm going to laugh my ass off when it ends up being the Judgment Day and Bray Wyatt's nowhere to be found. And everybody has a meltdown on social media, just like all the times Kenny Omega was supposed to be number 30 in the rumble. CM Punk was supposed to be number 30 in the rumble. Uh, the rock is supposed to come back and then they don't. And then everyone's like, what the hell? And you set up your own expectation. 
I'm setting the bar real low to like, all right, it's the judgment day and anything above that, I'll be more than excited. But so we talk about the judgment day and Finn Balor to close out Monday night raw this week. Edge comes back, goes nuts on everyone in the judgment day, spares them all and says that he wants a, I quit match with Finn Balor at extreme rules. And that's not all we have. So many matches added between Raw and SmackDown this week. And I look at all of them and I'm like, damn, this card is stacked. So I already know the two that were coming out of this week were Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey in an Extreme Rules match and Seth Rollins versus Matt Riddle in a fight pit. Added to the card between SmackDown and today, actually, the day we're recording this, Bailey versus Bianca Belair in a ladder match. Edge versus yep. Finn Balor and I quit match. Drew McIntyre versus Karrion Cross in a strap match. And the Brawling Brutes against Imperium in a Donnybrook match. I'm excited so, for this. I got the popcorn ready now. And it's remember, like a week and a half. And remember when this used to be a pay-per-view? Like, ah, whatever. I'm not going to pay attention. I mean, look, it, it's a function of Triple H just being like, look, it's really simple. You just got to put on matches that people want to see. I mean, that, that really is all you got to do. I mean, yes, you need storylines, you need characters that people care about. There's a lot of characters that people have always been invested in in WWE. It's just like they haven't really done anything with them. Well, now they're finally doing something with them. And whether mm-hmm. there's a storyline there or not, you're getting a good match. And that's all fans have asked out of WWE for a long time. So, yeah, I'm definitely excited for it. Now, I will say one thing that kind of bothered me, all right, is why is Bianca versus Bailey, a ladder match because she talks about the promo in the beginning of the show and how she pinned Bianca Belair, but she's like, nah, I want to have a ladder match. Why go to the level of I pin Bianca Belair to have a match that does not involve a pinfall? She can, she can have her, her group there to help her out. I, I don't know, but that could happen regardless. I, I mean, can. we've seen, we've seen Roman Reigns for two years win match after match. Thanks to the Usos. I found that a little odd that they're going with the ladder match, but hey, it's an extreme rule, extreme type of match for extreme rules and can't be wrong with that. But, you know, if we're getting Brawling Brutes versus Imperium in that Donnybrook match, though, I don't know who's complaining about that. That one's going to be fun. That one, I don't think it's going to be as good as what we saw with Gunther and Sheamus at Clash of the Castle, but it's going to be good nonetheless. All right. So speaking of Bianca and Bailey and damage control and this feud that we have going on for the last few months. Someone got added to this feud on Monday Night Raw, and that is the returning Candice LeRae, who takes care of business against Nikki Cross in like four minutes. Afterwards, there's a backstage segment with damage control, Bianca Belair, Asuka, and Alexa Bliss, where Candice LeRae comes in. Gotta ask the question. We got War Games coming up for Survivor Series. Is this the setup for the War Games match for the women? Certainly seems like it. And, you know, I don't, again, another, another one of those matches, like, who's going to complain about it? Have you seen Io Shirai in any of the War Games matches? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, no complaints for me. No, and the thing about that is, you look at if this is the route they're going with the women's War Games match. How many of them have been in a War Games match in NXT? Bianca, I think, right? Candice LeRae has. Dakota and EO both did. Yep. So there's a lot of experience in the war games match where they're actually probably going to be the ones running the match or calling the shots in the match. 
Meanwhile, you still have Asuka and Alexa and Bailey seasoned vets. The only question is who's going to fill that last slot for damage control? Maybe Mandy. No, that's not the route I was thinking. Got to have a tie into Candace, I think. And I saw some people on Twitter speculating this, and I think this is the right route, assuming she's healthy in time. But Indy Hartwell. Everyone else in the way is up on the main roster now. Austin Theory, Johnny Gargano, Dexter Loomis, Candice now. Indy's the only one left. It's true. And you could bring her up before war games and have a feud with her and Dexter against the Miz and Maurice. Because we got to find out why the hell Dexter is going after the Miz. I was just going to say that. I I was going to say, look, I mean, I'm into it, but there's got to be some type of progression in the storyline now. Yeah, there, there has to be a reason behind that, but... You talk about getting invested in characters. I've always been invested in the Dexter Loomis character. Even in NXT, I love that character. I thought he would do great in the main roster. But I think the most invested character the fans are behind right now, and I think you would agree with me on this, Ralph, is Sami Zayn. And I think that solidified it on Friday Night SmackDown. Opening up the show, we have the Bloodline out. We have Sami out. You have Roman talking. You have the Usos cut a little promo. Then Sami Zayn grabs the microphone and he says a little something. Roman Reigns is like, whoa, 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 man. Why are you talking? Why do you have a bloodline shirt on? And you really think this is the start of the turn, the bloodline turning on Sami Zayn. And the crowd is just like anticipating like the, oh no, oh no. Take off the shirt. Take off the shirt. Jey Uso, of course, perfect little uh, storyline plot there. Have Jey Uso rip the shirt. No one else in the bloodline. And Roman Reigns is like, you're never wearing a Bloodline shirt again because I got a shirt for you. Throws the shirt over and it's Sami Zayn, honorary Oos. And the crowd just explodes for this. If they don't be careful with this, Sami Zayn might end up being the biggest baby face in WWE. Imagine if the story arc led to him being the guy to beat Roman. And it was Kevin Owens that came out and cost Roman that, that match. I mean, that would be at the level of, in my mind, like Mick Foley beating The Rock. Like you, the the pop would be at a big pay per view, just to see like every because inevitably they are going to turn on him. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to happen. Now, there's a couple different ways I think they can go with that. I mean, I think he's going to feud with Jey Uso. We'll go through that whole thing. Which, mind you, again, as you pointed out, the storytelling in that little thing, the little things as far as like the the faces uh, Jey Uso was making at him, the jealousy, like they've always had that little tension, all these little subtleties that they were building up in that whole segment. This segment was great. Sami Zayn, for anybody that likes to throw around the around the word, uh, you know, buried or the term buried when associating you know, pro wrestling, that's a guy that lost to Johnny Knoxville at WrestleMania. You know, Mm -hmm. two guys that came out of WrestleMania that lost matches. Kevin Owens lost to Stone Cold Steve Austin. He lost to freaking Johnny Knoxville. If you're good enough, you can bring yourself back from from any point. And uh, out of anybody from WrestleMania, other than Cody who got hurt, Sammy might be at a point where he's the the most over out of anybody. And and he lost to a movie star, if you want to call him a movie star. Um, Stunt stunt double or whatever. Stunt devil, Um, whatever you want to call him. But... I can't say I disagree. I mean, yeah, he might be a guy where if they really wanted to go all in on the storyline and, you know, how fitting would it be if, if fucking Sami Zayn is the guy to beat Roman? I, I, it, would, it would be amazing. It, it would. It, the pop would be amazing. And it would kind of go with 
the NXT vision of Triple H, who's like, no one has to be this big bodybuilder anymore. You could be an undersized guy. You don't have to have the muscles. You could literally wrestle in a dad bod like Sami Zayn and still be a top guy because you connect with the audience. And that's what he does. He has connected with the audience with since this whole conspiracy theory version of Sami Zayn started during the pandemic, when he came back, it's been amazing. And it's really, I think, reached a peak at this point with, with him at that show in Montreal in that gauntlet match and then following it up with this moment here on SmackDown, which I do have to say, because I asked the same question with MJF, is it just because these shows were in Canada or is this the trend of the storyline? No, I, I think Sami Zayn and I think most people in the bloodline are, are super over, even Solo, who just came up. I mean, him being in the group, he gets treated with a certain level of respect from the fans. Like, he's not just the odd guy got that got thrown into the group and it's like, well, who's this unknown guy from NXT? In two or three weeks for him being on the main roster, the interaction him and Sammy have had together, both of them go into Raw together and just Sammy acting like a goof, you know? Mm-hmm. It just feels like there's the bloodline and for anybody who's ever complained that, oh, they're not doing anything different. Oh, it's not new. It's not fresh. It's stale. Two no weeks, one's getting over in this. No way. No way. You can't. Uh, you honestly can't say that. I mean, this storyline with Roman and everybody else involved now, even you look at Jay with the jealousy, a- a- everything like there's so many different subtle storylines involved in it. You can't point to it and say nobody's getting over. Sami Zayn is super over right now. Right. Right. Now, you bring up Jey Uso, though. The question with him is, does he turn on the bloodline because of the support they have with Sami Zayn? Everyone's thinking the bloodline's going to turn on Sami. But is Jay going to be the one that turns on the bloodline? Because the bloodline doesn't start without him acknowledging Roman Reigns first. That would bring everything full circle, right? Jay was Jay was the guy that first feuded with Roman. Mm-hmm. Uh and you know, who knows? Maybe he's the guy that cost Roman the title at the end of all of this. Does Sammy and Kevin Owens win the tag titles off the Usos? That's another. I mean, and it, that's that's the back, the the uh, the other storyline, I think, that you can certainly go with. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to push Sammy to be the champion, which, you know, I don't know if they'll actually ever do that. But that's the other, you know, because we've kind of seen them tease that before. That would make a lot of sense as well. Right. Well. It's definitely going to be interesting to see how this develops and everything that happens in AEW and WWE in the next coming months. But if you love this episode, make sure you like this video or share this all over social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, SCPB Podcast. And if you want to support this channel, you could join our membership now. Get some cool perks like ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, and even priority in our acts scpb episodes click the join button under the video and we'll see you on the next episode of the squared circle psychobabble 